Hey guys, my name is Sam. Welcome to Stories of From the Birth Suite, where we listen to birth stories told from the partner's point of view. Today's guest is Griffo, who some of you may or may not know as Heidi Anderson's husband. He shares his story about how Heidi had a GD diagnosis through pregnancy and then their birth story in the private system. The first question that I always ask everybody is, how did you find out Heidi was pregnant? Um, This is quite an interesting story and I, I do not think about it often, but now you bringing it up is kind of bringing back a lot of memories. We got married in September, I better get this right, it was September on the 28th uh, in 2018. And soon after we decided to get, uh, we decided to try. And we were actually on our honeymoon and Heidi suffers with anxiety, my wife. And she was just acting a bit out of normal, which to me seemed kind of normal because we were drinking, we weren't really exercising and routine was out of whack and that does cause her anxiety to uh, increase. But it was starting to get a little bit more out of control than, than expected. And then we sort of had a little joke on maybe I'm pregnant and we just laughed it off, thought nothing of it. We were right at the end of our, um, our honeymoon and Heidi just had this gut-wrenching feeling of going, I think I'm pregnant. I need to uh, test. And uh, in the end, I said, okay, let's just do a test. She tested and then we just laughed at each other, just like, holy (laughs) shit. But fortunately, we got the most important part of the story. Obviously, oh, I don't know. The most important (laughs) part of my eyes was because um, we managed to have our honeymoon. Yeah. So we found out right at the end. So we managed to enjoy it all because if it was the other way around, it would have been a bit bittersweet. But, yeah, we literally just laughed and then I think we had a bit of a cry. But it was quite a joyful moment, but also, like, holy shit, like we're having a kid. Was uh, was Memphis planned? He was planned. Yeah. And enough, um, we did, Heidi saw a doctor probably a week or two weeks before we, we sort of officially started trying. And the doctor did say um, it's going to be a miracle without help. Uh, for me and this was a female doctor, for me, I thought that was probably the worst thing this doctor could have said. Yeah. You know, the brain and females are very much, uh, you know, you don't want to mess with the brain because then the body starts wigging out. Um, and unfortunately, Heidi was over east with her family at the time, so I couldn't be there to support her. I just said, well, that doctor doesn't know shit. We're going to give it a crack. You know, the, my saying is it's like someone telling you they can't run before they put their joggers on. And that's yeah. what it Give it a go. Try for six months, three months, a year, whatever you feel comfortable with. And if you need help, go get help. Yeah. And the first time, bang. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was one thing that did actually uh, give me a bit of give me a bit of shits about the doctors. Um, I would have liked to have heard them say, "Hey, give it a try. Come see us in three, six, nine months, whatever, and then we'll reassess if uh, things aren't happening." Mm-hmm. You don't know until you try. So beginning of Heidi's pregnancy, she obviously had some heightened anxiety symptoms very early on. Um, was that like the only big symptoms that you were dealing with? Was there anything else that you were kind of helping her through for those early pregnant days? Yeah. I mean, it feels like such a lifetime ago. Yeah. <laughs> but she did have a bit of morning sickness. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't debilitating, but 
you know, as, as women describe, they say it feels like you're hungover all the time and that would just suck. That just is draining. You've got no energy. So there was definitely a lot of that. She had some quirks of what she wanted to eat. Times she wanted to eat uh, like lettuce or like <laughs> and then other times it'd be junk food. So it's very, you know, it was, uh, it was just depending on how she was feeling is what she wanted. It could be healthy. It could be not hungry. But she did say definitely eating made that hangover feeling go away. Yeah, that's very common. Yeah. And as it does when you're hungover from a night on the beers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Too much food is sort of brings on that hangover as well. That's exactly. <laughs> so I know that you guys went through the private system. Was that a decision that you'd made before conceiving Memphis or was that something that kind of came about once Heidi was pregnant? Um, I think it was never really talked about wholeheartedly, but I think we both felt that we wanted to go down the private sector. I had good health insurance with uh, the company I worked for at the time. And Heidi had seen a gynecologist in previous years and just said, he, he just said, hey, when you're ready, come and see us and we'll go from there. So she had sort of already planted the seed with this guy, no pun intended there. Um, <laughs> And just wanted to sort of just, you know, stay with this guy because she had a good attachment, a good connection with this guy. And there was no pressure from either side. It was just sort of, hey, I'm pregnant. Um, yeah, let's get this thing happening. So, And so at what point did you kind of re-engage with him again? Uh, I think, I don't know if it was like one or two years before Heidi fell pregnant, she might have seen him. And that's when he said, when you're ready, come see us. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it wouldn't have been probably soon after we got back, probably early 2019. Yep. And then we end up, I guess, without having a big conversation about it, just sort of saw the guy, felt comfortable and just cracked on. And, um, yeah, he ended up being the guy that delivered the, the young fella. <laughs> yeah. And what, what was it like? There's a few appointments and things. Were you able to go to those? Was that something that you wanted to do uh, with Heidi? Yep. I don't know if I went to all of them, but I would have gone to all of what I could have gone to. Um, I was working in Perth at the time, so it was convenient because that was quite early on with COVID. Mm. So it was not an issue with regards to getting access here and there and all that sort of stuff. So we're pretty lucky in that sense because you do hear a lot of people right in the heat of COVID would have struggled a lot to get access. You know, it was one person only, the mother. And it's like, I couldn't imagine being told that as a, as a father to be. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, you want the mum to be safe and the kid to be safe. Um, They're obviously deciding that bringing in another person is too much risk, but that's a a once-in-a-lifetime potentially opportunity for the dad that they're missing because of the, you know, the system. So, yeah, you're taking a lot from the parents there, the dad, at that moment together. But fortunately for us, we didn't have too many. You're uh, good. Yeah, yeah. So... Do you have many friends that have kids already before you had Memphis? Was having a kid something that you knew much about? Did you know kind of what you were in for with the whole childbirth thing? Or were you starting pretty fresh? No, I've got a few mates that have kids and then I've got an older brother and sister that have three each. So Mm -hmm. I've been familiar with kids and that, but I still don't think it can ever prepare you enough to know what you're up against. So I didn't walk in blind. I didn't walk in thinking I've got this. This is going to be a walk in the park by any means. But until you actually live it, it's just you can sit there and explain 
you know, to someone how it is and you just won't know until you experience it. That's the way I feel. Um, you can tell them every nitty gritty bit of detail, but it's just a feeling that you just won't ever understand. Yeah. The good and the bad, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's certainly not so good, yeah. <laughs> so um, during Heidi's pregnancy, you're going to some appointments, you're being pretty well supported, I'm assuming, from what you've said. Um, was Heidi's pregnancy relatively like smooth sailing? I think it's at 28 weeks you have your GD tests and she was diagnosed with that and that was a bit of a blow to her. She wasn't overly, not that you planned for it, but she obviously didn't want to get it. But at the same time in her token, she took it on so bloody well and she was pretty adamant to not take insulin. She wanted to just go ahead and um, diet control. Unfortunately, she could. Um, she did lose a bit of weight and she was still keeping healthy in herself. Baby was healthy. But once you do get diagnosed with GD, they will never go over. This is what we had been told, go over your 40 weeks. So we had pushed pretty hard and we got, I think, 39 and 5. That's awesome that she was able to diet control. That's like pretty, that's a pretty hard task to do. Um, Especially when, like we were talking about before, when you're hungover, you want to eat that crap food. Um, yeah but her willpower to stay focused is you know tenfold like it's just on point so good on her yeah so as you were getting closer to Heidi's due date I'm assuming she was induced from what you said before yes how did those kind of conversations happen with the Uh, doctor I know I think obviously Heidi we we actually saw a um a doula and um we did like hypnobirthing oh yeah cool yeah and what i liked about it a lot was just getting a bit of understanding um you sort of it was good because you just learn a lot about pregnancy and then also delivering and that and then different ways of having a child but at the same time don't be closed-minded because it mightn't go the way you want and you've got to go with that flow it was nice to know that it could go this way, that way or whatever. So you went in with an open mind. I think getting closer to the date and knowing Hyde's had GD, it was sort of starting to come down to, oh, it's probably going to get induced. And I know that upset Heidi because she really wanted to have a natural birth and feel the natural motions of it all. But we did speak about it and said, you know, we've got to go with what the doctor says because we put our, our trust in him. The safety of our child's uh, paramount, so we just need to go with that and just trust that he knows the right way. It's definitely a bit of a tough pill for Heidi to swallow. For me, I was just supporting her in, um, you know, being the best partner I could for her. It wasn't about me getting my way. It was just supporting her. So she wasn't super keen on the induction, but she felt like it was probably the best choice for you guys? Is that what I'm... Yeah, I mean, I don't think she had the the last say. Um, definitely not. If she had GD, if she didn't, we might have been able to push that a little bit longer. Yeah, I think if he didn't have GD, we probably would have pushed a bit more. Maybe he might have um, dropped a bit more and gotten position. So, mm-hmm. but uh, your hands are tied. I think in private, it's a little bit more um, strict with how they operate, whereas private uh, public might be a little bit more relaxed. I'm not too sure. I've heard a couple of stories from both sides. So it comes back to your experience and what you feel. It's, That's right. You're right, but it's your opinion. So everyone's yeah. entitled to have your own opinion. Yeah. 
So um, whose idea was it to do hypnobirthing classes? Definitely Heidi's. I wouldn't even <laughs> know what the hell it is. I thought it was going to be some kumbaya stuff, you know. <laughs> what the hell? But she was really cool. Where was she from? She was from uh, the Netherlands, I think. I think she probably gets a lot of people like me in with a partner that's quite opposite to me, like a bit more spiritual or whatever. And she was very accommodating. And like I said, you just gained a lot of experience. So walking in there, I wouldn't say I wasn't shit myself, but at least I had a little bit of understanding as to what was about to happen to help the situation. Mm -hmm. I know Heidi, Heidi gave me a lot of shit saying I was pretty average in the, uh, in the <laughs> but I mean, rightly so, you got a lot going on. It's hard to keep you focused. So, <laughs> <laughs> She told me you were pretty good. At the time, I know she started getting angry at me and I'm like, well, you know, her hormones are going on and she's getting some pretty gnarly contractions, so... We got to induction day. Can you walk us through kind of, I guess, like what happened? Yeah, so she ended up getting uh, the balloon and we went in, I think it was on the, I should remember the day. It, was, right. an, it was an afternoon and she went in, had that on the, the evening and then the nurse says, Normally the, the partner goes home and then comes back in the morning and I'm like, I know my wife, I'm not going anywhere. And then on you. I had to sleep on this shitty little single couch. Um, really what you need the night before, you know, having a pretty big day. Um, but, you, you know, your adrenaline kicks in, you just do what you got to do. So I ended up staying the night and then uh, doctor came in in the morning. I think it was probably six o'clock and out came the balloon. And then... Was the night pretty uneventful? Yeah. Yeah. Not a hell of a lot of dilation and um, slightly softened cervix by memory. And then, yeah, from there it was, I think the next two, is it the water breaks or they start giving you the medications? It depends. Sometimes one, sometimes the other. Can't remember. But this is the funny thing, because I don't know if Heidi just was oblivious to what an induction is, but I know she didn't really want to take drugs if she didn't have to. Not like uh, she wasn't against epidural, but also didn't really want to. But I don't think she really understood. She had to take medication to get the uh, the, the cycle. What's it called? The, um, um, the contractions? The <laughs> Um, I don't think she really thought about that. And I'm like, yeah, no, this medication will give you the contractions. And then, yeah, they started off quite slow and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is all right. And then obviously come in, turn it up a bit more, turn it up a bit more. And then, yeah, it was, it was probably the most hardest thing I've ever experienced to see my partner in such great pain. It yeah. was... Um, it was really crushing, like it really was. I actually had a moment where, you know, you're trying to keep it together in front of your partner because she's the one going through the pain, right? You can walk away and escape it. And uh, I actually had to take a breather. I walked off. I went into, like, the nurse's uh, kitchen and then just started bawling my eyes like I couldn't stop. And I'm not one to cry, but it was just so touching but also so painful being there and experiencing it. And had a nurse come in and gave us a big hug. And um, that was really cool. But then I was like, all right, I've stopped crying. Now I was back in there and, you know, get on with it. But get Game that, face. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, the inductions were quite intense, I guess, because they're, nat uh, they're unnatural, they're brought on and they're ramped up. 
So, you know, we tried. Um, you'll have to help me out with the pads on the back. The TENS machine? That's it, the TENS machine. I yep. think that nothing. I think that, was, <laughs> that didn't really help her. I think she was getting more shitty with it than, um, yeah, utilising it. She was on the, uh, the bouncy ball. I think she was leaning over the toilet at one stage, just whatever, you know, you just try and get in a position that you, you're giving yourself some sort of comfort. Um, breathing, we had some music on in the background, dim lights and candles just to try and set the mood to, you know, soften those intense feelings. But I think it was maybe after about four hours or so, it was like the anesthetist came in and he was such a sweet guy um he could see that she was in struggle town and not really getting any more dilated and had a long long way to go a real long way to go he pulled me aside and he goes look i've got um i think two inductions and then one caesar i can squirt sorry no it was two epidurals and then one caesar he goes i've got to do those two now but after that I can squeeze you in for a um, epidural, but if you don't go for it, then it's going to be a while until after his uh, Caesar to come back to then administer the uh, epidural. So I'm like, oh, I'm, once again, I've got to trust in the system. I can see my wife in absolute agony. And I know her biggest thing was just not being, um, not being sort of, not letting herself down. I know she didn't want to, but it was so not that. It was just like, mate, you've just got to, you've got to let this go. You've given it a red hot crack, you know. You're in absolute pain. You've got a long way to go. You have not failed one bit. You know, mm -hmm. you've absolutely killed it. You wanted to experience this feeling, you've got it. Um, but now you've got such a long road to go. This is the, the smartest option. And she did fight a little bit, but eventually she came around and then got the epidural, which that was a battle in itself because obviously you're getting that needle put in whilst you're having contractions. And he's saying, sit still. And he, she's going, fuck off. Like you try and sit still with this shit going on, you know? <laughs> so, once again, you're in this middle spot trying to support your wife and you're trying to get her to get this epidural so she can have some sort of relief. And um, yeah, it was just such a whirlwind. But like I said, the emotion was just so extreme from like, the sheer pain and agony seeing your wife in to, you know, not long after having a kid in your hands, you know, it's just, it's just a wild, wild journey. So she got the epidural. She managed to sit still enough that they got that in and made it work. Yep. I think that's something that people don't realize. You actually have to sit like dead still. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just, and it's not just quick and easy either. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of a process. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I was at the back or the front end. I can't remember because I just, I don't like needles, but. No, neither. It was a bit of a blur, but yeah, she was sort of on the edge of the bed, sort of half leaning forward. Mm -hmm. You just got to stay still. Like That's it. You can't move. No. Otherwise, and if I guess you're about to have a contraction, well, he's got to get out the way, have a contraction, try and wait for a quiet period. But it's not just a, a shoot, you know, point and shoot scenario. So No, yeah. not at all. <laughs> so once she got the epidural in, how was she then coping? Yeah, I can't remember how long after, but I don't think it was too long, maybe 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, it just felt like 
everything had just been lifted off your shoulders, you know, it was a great sigh of relief. And it was just like, right, let's just kick our feet up. Let's just take a breather here. And, you know, we've got a bit of time in our hands. And maybe after about, I'm going to say 40 minutes or so, um, the midwife did say that uh, his heart, I think, is going a little bit higher. I don't know how much higher at the contractions, but was just a little bit concerning. So she got the doctor. He came back, checked it out, and... I think we let a couple contractions go just to see how it was going, but I think his heart rate was going up and up more. And they said, look, there's no major concern right this second, but there's sort of two options. We can keep going the way we are and just see what comes of it. If it gets worse, then we'll need to act potentially in an emergency scenario, or we can go in for like a, a planned cesarean um book you in and just sort of get this kid out. We don't know if there's any issues internally, um, but there's just a couple of uh, alarms going off. So that was quite weird hearing that because it's like, holy shit, this baby's coming now. You know, we decided to go ahead and say, right, let's just, let's just do what's best and that's to get this baby out. So we decided to go with the cesarean and then it was weird. I don't think we spoke a hell of a lot. It was like Hydra just sitting there laying there I was sitting by her side and then it was like in 40 minutes I think it was we're gonna have a kid like it's no longer you and me it's it's us it's like a three-person family you know and it was quite a weird feeling because I do recall I don't think we spoke a hell of a lot to each other it was just sort of held hands sitting in peace just just being with each other so you know, it was good to see her not in the pain and agony um, as the epidural did its job. But at the same time, it was just, yeah, it was such a very um, interesting, peaceful moment. Yeah. Do you think Hardy was feeling peaceful too? Um, well, I mean, I don't know exactly how an epidural works. Uh, if it just cuts your pain out, if it makes your head a little bit fuzzy <laughs> as well. But maybe she was quiet because she does sometimes get a bit quiet when she's angst. But I think it probably was a bit of medication that was just helping her just to, I think she was in peace. No, I think she was. Yeah. I know sometimes she shuts down when she gets anxious. Yeah. They're like, oh, shit, what have I done? But it's just her going through her mental state. So, yeah. um, no, she was quite good. And then it was like, right, we're transferring onto a bed, get changed into this. And then I started shitting myself because I'm like, yeah. God. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. At what point did you, did the peace disappear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're waiting outside the uh, the room and um, Heidi, she was, I think, not on cloud nine, but she was, she was doing all right, you know, she was pretty comfortable. And there's one of the uh, nurses was just talking crap with her, I think, about radio stuff. And I think one was trying to distract me, you know, because obviously they could see it all over my face. <laughs> I've got my James serious face on. <laughs> and um, then the anaesthetist, so he's like, well, I've got, I've got the most important job here and that's to um, choose what playlist we're putting on, you know, because he had done his job. He was all out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, so we put some music on and then we got into a theatre and then it was just crazy to see probably a dozen people, you know. You never really expected to have that many people and then I'm not one for blood and guts, so I was definitely at the head end. And uh, up came the sheet. And then I remember Heidi, it was quite funny, laying on the bed. You look straight up and there's a stainless steel sheet on the roof. And she's like, oh, I can see my fanny, you know. 
it wasn't a perfect, clear reflection, but you could see yourself. And so she was doing all right. And I'm like, not really into the jokes at this point in time. Just keep it together, you know. But it was, uh, it felt so quick how they operated and um, got him out. And then next second, they pull the sheet down and here's this kid, you know, right before you. And it's just a magical moment. A really, yeah, a very magical moment that you never forget. Never, ever. And in that moment, what did you guys do? I think we um, obviously held him together and just looked at each other and just we just laughed and cried and just, yeah, really enjoyed the moment because it's just, like I said, it's, it's just a once-in-a-lifetime moment. You know, you might have another kid, but it's never going to be the first kid. Um, it could come a different way. Who knows? So it's just an experience that we'll never forget. And... We'll relive maybe one day uh, if we decide to have another one, but it won't be the same because the first is just, it's it's a one-off. So, yep. yeah. I, I don't know if it was off the back of GD or what the go is, but he did have low blood um, levels. So it wasn't alarming. It wasn't anything over the top. Um, they just checked him a couple of times. Then we left the theatre. Then Heidi ended up getting him straight on the boob and feeding. And then... We, from there, we went up into the room, which was fine. And then I think the nurses came in, uh, I can't tell you how, uh, maybe half an hour, an hour later, it was there, we were there with my mum my and dad and Heidi's mum and dad. And the nurses checked him again. And I think there was some more concern with his blood levels again. Okay. And then fortunately, he had to go down to the neonatal ward. And because Heidi just had a cesarean, they were like, you need to rest. So that was really tough for her to, not have a choice uh, and I know a lot of people would have had a lot worse of things with not having a choice of late with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was allowed to go down so I was with him whilst he was in the neonatal ward and it was you know I think being I could generalize this and say being a man you you just know that what they're doing is right but at the same time I wasn't in pain watching him in pain because um, they had to get a proper vial of blood and they were getting blood from his, um, I think they couldn't get a vein. And then they were, getting, they were pinpricking his feet. Yep. And it just, they just couldn't get enough blood. And then in the end, they had to do, uh, they had to pretty much uh, attach to his belly button and then get a, okay. uh, an attachment through that way to get uh, the blood. And then he was in there for oh, maybe two or three days. Um, whether it was over precautious or whatever, I mean, like I said, I trusted the system. I know he was in the best place for him to be in at that hospital. It wasn't, I don't know how long after Heidi got to see him again, but it was, she probably pushed it a little bit, but, you know, she was in a wheelchair. She wasn't up walking and running around anywhere. But yeah, it was about getting as much colostrum into him as possible, plus yeah. the, to just boost his sugar levels up. I never felt, concerned for him and his health I knew it was in good hands and I never felt that any nurse or doctor had said you know this isn't great you know it was just more this is just what needs to be done this is mm-hmm. the process, so. how was it going between Memphis and Heidi for those days um I guess for me like I'm pretty robust I just get on with it it wasn't time to for me I guess it wasn't time to be upset We've got a job to do, and that's to be a dad and be there for your son. And I'm a husband. I need to be there for my wife. 
at what point did it like sink in that you were now dead? I think when we left the hospital. Yeah. Cause we were in there. I think we left on the fifth day and it felt like you're on a spaceship for these four to five days. And then you leave walking out with your suitcase, your wife in hand and a kid in your hand. And you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> like the most craziest ride, like uh, the emotions of, of sadness and then happiness was just so extreme. It's, it's bizarre to feel all of that in such a short amount of time. Yeah. I, I did feel like cabin fever. I think after two days I had to go out to a local pub. This was after my son was born. <laughs> And then I just needed to breathe. I needed to breathe fresh air, see some, you know, sky and um, get out of there because it did feel somewhat claustrophobic, you know. Absolutely. Because uh, we had to, well, we didn't have to. We decided we'll do it. Uh, every three hours he was waking and needed to feed. So mm -hmm. we would go down there, we'd feed him for an hour. Then by the time you go back up to your room, shut your eyes or just rest. It was just about turn around, go back down and do it again. And the nurses said, you guys are absolutely killing it. You need to give yourselves a break. So I think we had maybe one, one time we didn't see him every three hours and that was over wow. a couple of days. So once again, you just, you just get on with it. We wanted to see him. We wanted to support him. We wanted to be there with him. It's your newborn child. Of course you want that. But at the same time, it's, it was a lot of pressure, I guess, we put on ourselves because you're getting somewhat fatigued but you're also on that mad rush of like adrenaline from what just happened. So what was it like being at home? Um, it was a bit full on. I think hormones for Heidi was a bit out of sorts. Um, we did actually have a pretty decent argument, I think a few days in and I know Heidi's dad was here and he's like, you guys just cut it out. Like you've got to be nice to each other, you know, and you, you know, your life is turned upside down you know, and that sounds like a terrible statement, but it really is turned upside down. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a bad statement, but it's the best description because what you used to know, what you used to have is just gone. And it's all about this kid. And, you know, you, you're fatigued from the last few days. Uh, you're fatigued because you're getting up, keeping, short, uh, keeping an eye on this kid, feeding him. Yeah, I don't know exactly what happens to the female body after pregnancy, but I'm sure there's a lot of hormones that just get released and just go wild so there's just a lot to deal with and to process that and keep a level head would be I think near on imp impossible for anyone and I know I probably would have thought a few things of being a parent like I'll oh, just do this and why don't they just do that and it would be all right but then you get there and you're like oh I think being flexible is also part of the journey to to mold yourself into this new person you know to being a parent yeah completely regimented is um i don't think the the best way no how much time did you have off um before going back to work i was working away prior to memphis uh being mm -hmm. poor, and i think i finished up i'm gonna say maybe about a month before I had a fair bit of time off just to help out um being the fact that i worked away i don't want to be stuck up north in case if uh, memphis came early I probably had uh, maybe a month off after and then I went uh, working for a company that was local and was just in Perth. So any issues or whatever, I could have easily just, you know, come home. So yeah. yeah, that was quite, I guess that in itself was quite a big deal to change 
me and Heidi only knew each other from FIFO and now to come home with a kid, work in Perth was a massive change to our life as well. And, you know, we, and then Heidi with her radio career at that time, she didn't know she was going to wrap it up, but um, soon after, probably, I think it was three, four months after Memphis was born is when she decided that was it, you know? Yeah. So in all that short space, it was my career had changed. Her career had, had sort of wrapped up in what she was doing. We had a kid. I now am home 24 seven working in Perth. It, it was just such a big heap of shit just going on. Um, that's a lot of life changes. Like that's huge. Yeah. We probably didn't give ourselves enough appreciation of what we had to go through. Once again, you just got on with it because that kid's your priority. So emotions were definitely pushed aside and whether that be a bit detrimental to our relationship and also being the best parent at the time, I don't know, because you've got to be happy and content in yourself to be the best person, I believe. But just a lot going on. Yeah. yeah. Just a lot. So we, we got through it, but it was certainly, um, looking back now, you were certainly pushing the boundaries. Yeah. If you could give any new dads any advice for, I don't know, you can choose childbirth or having a newborn, what, w- what would you say? I think it's probably not a bad idea. Like you don't have to go down the path of doing um, hypnobirthing, but I think doing maybe a couple classes or maybe just a bit of research online. There's probably some YouTube videos or something or other just to get a bit of understanding as to what, you might expect and what questions you might be asked in the heat of the moment. So it's not a bad idea to have a bit of understanding. So I reckon that was quite a good thing for me. And, you know, I was grateful that Heidi made me do it because now looking back, it was a great thing and definitely beneficial. Being now a father, uh, it's a tough one because like I said, I'll probably change a few things, uh, but at the same time, once you're in that headspace. You can't always see what's better for you. But I think trying to still give yourself your space and your time because you've got to be happy in yourself to be the best person. I could have maybe been a bit more relaxed or enjoy the journey a bit because I might have presented a bit of what was going on with, you know, hey, this kid's come on board. You're a dad. You get pushed aside. Mum and son, they just need to hang out. Um, they're the one that wants mum because they feed her, they nurture her, they've been in her for the last nine months. So that connection's a lot stronger. Yeah. So you do have to sacrifice a lot and I don't think there's a hell of a lot you can do about that. Yeah. Just pick the things that keep you happy and sane. you just got to ride the wave and do the best you can, you know. you just got to be there for your kid and support them, make sure they know that they're loved and cared for and hope for the best that they turn out all right. I hope you enjoyed this story from the birth suite. Thank you so much for listening along. If you want to support the podcast, please subscribe or leave a review. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, it's at sam.zig.birthsuite. See you next time.